It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. My producer, BD, stand clear because today is one of those days. Seriously, everything I'm touching since about 3.30 in the morning is turning to you-know-what. So I just, I just, I don't know. It's one of, you have those kind of mornings. It will perhaps get better. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Things that I think you should know about to discuss at the water cooler, the gym, with your coworkers, with your colleagues, with your friends. Story number one, Milwaukee Mayor Tom Trolley Folly Barrett. This is the same Tom Barrett who is committing the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee to pay millions of dollars a year in upkeep and maintaining and supporting a trolley that almost nobody is going to ride, a trolley that is going to cost over $100 million in the form of either money from the federal government, taxpayers, or from um, tax TIF districts or whatever, and money to maintain the trolley. So this is is Tom Barrett's legacy. We're going to spend money for the trolley. Tom Barrett now says that he wants the state legislature to approve a one-half percent sales tax, a half-cent a half cent local sales tax to, wait for it, help fund the city's public safety and crime prevention efforts. Tom Barrett is apparently starting to realize that crime in the city of Milwaukee is, in fact, out of control. After years of allowing the police force to atrophy tom barrett now says hey we you know we, we we need we need more cops we want to put cops on the street and to um to really wrap a bow on this tom barrett says that if we don't raise the money if we don't put on a new sales tax what we're going to do is we might lose we might be forced to cut 84 police positions out of the next year's budget we're not going to cut, you know, maintenance for the trolley. We're not going to cut, oh, I don't know, some mid-level bureaucrat positions at City Hall. If we don't get the money, we're cutting cops. So give me this money. I want to increase your taxes. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I think there's a number of really interesting issues that this presents. Number one, of course, is the, gee, Tom Barrett is now starting to awake and realize apparently that that there is a a problem with crime and that you perhaps need police officers to deal with this. But his solution is, let me raise a sales tax to pay for it. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this, of course affects not just the people who live in the city of Milwaukee, but it would affect anybody who decides to travel to the city of Milwaukee and buy things. You would have to pay the half-cent the half cent sales tax as well. The argument being, well, everybody should pay for police protection. All right, should we do this? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, of course, let's be honest up front. Barrett is employing the Lincoln Monument, the Lincoln Memorial strategy here, the idea that, well, if I don't get what I want, um, we are going to try to look at cutting whatever is the most dramatic. Again, we're, we're not going to cut 
you know, underwriting the public, the, the trolley that no one's going to ride. We're not going to get rid of mid-level bureaucrats. We're not going to get rid of, you know, an aide to an alderman. We're not going to get rid of some of my aides. We're going to get rid of the cops. So that's what we need. So we need this massive sales tax, 414-799-1620. Would you be willing to pay this? Now, also keep in mind, this is the same city of Milwaukee that imposes a wheel tax. Every time you register your car every year, you pay extra money for that. Have the roads gotten better because you are paying more in your wheel tax? All right, I'll tell you where I come down on this. My position is somewhat nuanced, um, but what do you think about the increasing the sales tax to pay for the police? We discuss next. It's 840. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett, Trolley Tom, comes out and says, hey, we've got a crime problem in the city of Milwaukee. Ho, ho, comes the dawn. And unless I get a whole bunch more money, I'm going to have to lay off 84 police officers. Now, let let me just say this. This is ridiculous on, on its face. And anybody who listens to the mayor should be responding, wait a second. You mean you're going to lay off police officers instead of, oh, getting rid of maybe a couple of your aides or a couple of aldermanic aides or some mid-level bureaucrats at the Department of Transportation? And I'm not necessarily arguing these people should lose their jobs. But if the choice is we keep cops or, you know, we keep some mid-level bureaucrat, it is ridiculous and insulting that the mayor of the city of Milwaukee decides to, uh, again, play politics and say you're going to lay off cops. So that in and of itself is an absurd thing to say. And it's really, I, I think, beneath the mayor. But, 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 having said that, having said that, there is a, a larger sort of question. There is no doubt that they need more cops in the streets of Milwaukee. And it's not just people who are trapped in the crime-ridden city of Milwaukee that needs to deal with this. But as we've seen on a regular basis, you have crime that is spreading out into the suburbs. The problems in Milwaukee, it's not like there's a giant fence around the city of Milwaukee that keeps its criminals contained. No, we're seeing story after story after story of how Milwaukee criminals are spreading out to the suburbs. So, I mean, it is a matter uh, for everybody to be concerned with. So here's where I come down on this. I think, unfortunately, the mayor has no credibility on crime because, again, he's presided over the demise of the police department. He stands by a police chief who has implemented policies which make it very, very difficult to catch criminals. On top of that, you have a catch-and-release court system that the mayor refuses to call out and hold accountable. And as long as all that is happening, you're not going to get a handle on crime. That is unfortunate. That's why Tom Barrett, in my opinion, has no credibility on the crime issue. Having said that, though, having said that, though, I mean, I do think it is always just I, like I've always said, if you if you want to ask me to have some dedicated tax money that goes to build prisons to keep people safe, I say, where do you sign up? And even though I am not necessarily convinced that this is the necessity that, you know, you need to raise this particular tax I think that maybe you should look at other ways to fund it. At the same time, you know, if this is going to put more cops on the street, I'm with Bob Donovan, who raised this when he was running for mayor and had it getting shot down by the uh, by Tom Barrett at the time. 
I don't know. I could get behind this as long as the money is going to be used, as long as it is really going to be used as it is intended to be used. 414-799-1620. Jay on the south side. Jay, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm no supporter of, of the mayor, but you're not being fair to him. And the city is being starved right now. They can't replace the positions. My wife is about to retire after 37 years with the city. And I can tell you that there just isn't money. They need that sales tax, and we need more cops. Well, I just said I'd go ahead with the sales tax, and I said that I, I don't mind going more But it's not the mayor's cops. fault. Well, it's been the mayor's fault for you. The mayor has presided over the de- decline of the police department for the last several years. And, and, yes, this is the mayor that wants to commit millions of dollars to help fund the trolley operating costs on a basis. Would you rather have the trolley or would you have, rather have more cops? I can't do anything about the trolley, <laughs> but I can tell you. Uh, and, and, but the and mayor my, could. That's my point. Well, no, he can't stop it now. Well, okay. And the trolley, especially now that you have the arena and you have city money going towards this new arena, you, you really can't single this out and say, oh, it's just this. Well, it's not just that, but it's an ongoing pattern. It's, I, I'm it's just also saying. Scott Walker and allowing police to move out of the city of Milwaukee. What does that have to do with this? That has everything to do with it. Drug houses started poking up in in near my neighborhood when that happened you you think that have, you think that the handful of poli- you think that the handful of police who have moved out of the city and it is really just a, a relative uh, you think that is why you don't think there were drug houses in the city of Milwaukee before no, the residency rule went there are more now i'm telling you that it's getting worse in part because police don't have to live here. I, I just well, police people aren't wait a second, police out. weren't, people police weren't living in police. Look, Jay, police weren't living in the sections of the city where you, as a general rule, where you had the crime problems. In they weren't living in the areas where you had the the drug houses to begin with. Now, look, I I, I understand if we want to be defensive of of the mayor. Um, and I understand that you need to get revenue somewhere. And I also understand that the money we are spending on the trolley doesn't fully provide you with, you know, $30 million a year. But it is, I think, illustrative of the fact that you have a mayor whose priorities have been really, really out of whack. Having said that, I, I understand that you've got to raise money to pay for the cops. I just reject this notion that, gee, you know, the, only, the first thing we've got to do is lay off police officers if we don't get more money. I suspect that there are all sorts of areas in the budget. Let's start with getting rid of, like I say, mayoral aides. Let's start with getting rid of, like, uh, aides to the aldermen. Let's start uh, doing that. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I have a really quick question. He's talking about laying off police officers. Is this going to include his personal bodyguards? You mean the police officers that go with him to keep him safe? Hmm. Yeah. Interesting question. Would they be one of the first of those 84 to go? Interesting question, Tony. What do you think? I do not think he's going to relinquish his um, personal bodyguards. I think that there's probably, thank, thanks for the call, I think that might be, and, and by the way, I'm not suggesting that he should. My, my only point is that this, this 
horror story. This, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. We're going to have to get rid of 84 police officers if we don't have this added sales tax is, again, ridiculous. And people should say, okay, well, let's start looking at the city of Milwaukee budget with a fine-tooth comb, and let's start saying, okay, do you need this person? Do you need this administrator? Do you need this bureaucrat before you lay off police? But, of course, that doesn't get the headlines. But mayor threatening to lay off 84 police officers, that's what does get the headline. But, again, I, I think... I think the reality is the police force is understaffed. I don't have a problem if you want to take, again, a dedicated tax. It's a, it's, this is regressive. Sales tax is a regressive way to go around about it, but regressive meaning it has a greater impact on poor people than rich people. But that's okay. I mean, as long as, and I think people in the suburbs, um, even though you will pay this tax when you come to the city of Milwaukee, I think that, you know, a police presence to keep you safe, because the truth of the matter is there are many areas if you travel to and through the city of Milwaukee, you are just flat out not safe nowadays. And the idea of laying off large numbers of police officers, well, I, I think that should be the last step, not here, I'm going to play chicken with the state legislature. But having said that, I mean, if the mayor wants a sales tax and you'd have to have a referendum and the people in the city of Milwaukee want the sales tax and the common council wants the sales tax and you commit, 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 commit to making sure that it is used to pay for police, I, I don't have a problem with it. That, that's OK. Let's let's do it. Getting rid of police officers is just an unacceptable result of this. But maybe at the same time, maybe rather than obsessing on blaming the state of Wisconsin for Milwaukee's crime by saying, well, we need this new gun law or that gun law, it would be nice to have the mayor perhaps come out and identify what really are the problems that are causing crime, which is the criminal element in the city of Milwaukee, and recognizing that Blaming Madison, well, that just gets a little bit old. But if he wants the sales tax, I don't have an issue with it. It's 852. Big thing number two is coming up. Stick around. It's 855. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, The country of Iceland is touting the fact that there are virtually no cases of Down syndrome inside their borders anymore. Why is that? The answer may shock you. Scafidi and Billstat share the story at 1235 this afternoon. I'm sorry. I'm still back with that first call. I'm trying to puzzle this through because I I think I've heard it everything, everything. And now I've heard, okay, the, the rise of drug houses in the city of Milwaukee tied to the, the end of residency rules. Huh. That, that's an interesting one. My, just off the top. My, my guess is that there weren't too terribly many police officers that were living. There were only most police officers, you know, live in certain areas of the city. And, and my guess is that the areas that are being plagued, it's just my guess, the areas that are being plagued by drug houses are not the areas where there were a lot of cops living in general. And that the to the extent that cops moved out of those areas that were infested with drug houses, my guess is it, it wasn't because of, of necessarily residency rules. But that's just kind of off off the top of my head, the, the reaction. Again, I don't have a problem. If you want to impose a sales tax and dedicate it to help improve the quality of law enforcement in the city, I, I, that's okay. 
not don't have an issue with it. But I do object to this idea of we're going to use the police as that. That's going to be we're going to dangle this in it. I remember this is what school boards do a lot of times. If we don't get this referendum, we're we're going to get rid of. If this referendum doesn't pass, there's going to be no football team. There's going to be no extracurricular activities. Not, gee, you know, we're going to get rid of two of the six um, mid-level administrators, the assistant principals that we have that make $120,000 a year. No, we're not going to get rid of them. We're going to get rid of the after-school programs. It's that tactic that I think gets really, really old. But regardless... Um, I'm all in favor of putting more police officers on the streets. I'm all in favor of building more prisons to keep the bad guys who continue to commit crimes. And I fully acknowledge if you're going to do that, you, you need to come up with dedicated funding sources. All right. Big story number two. You knew this was coming. Um, over the last couple weeks, and then culminating in what happened in Charlottesville on, on Saturday, you, you've ha- you have this ongoing battle over the removal of Confederate monuments that sit in town squares. Yesterday we talked about how Gettysburg said they're, they're not removing Confederate war memorial monuments from, from the national parks. They're, they're not doing that, despite the fact that some people thought that that was a decent idea. All right, here's the latest thing. Um, there's a, a pastor in Chicago who is going to the Godfather, that would be Rahm Emanuel, and demanding that the names of two presidents who owned slaves be removed from parks on the south side, saying the city should not honor slave owners in black communities. Apparently, um, in one, one of the parks is called Washington Park, named after the first president of the United States, George Washington. In, in the park... There is a bronze statue of George Washington on horseback. This pastor says he wants the statue gone, and he wants George Washington's name removed from the park. He says, when I see that, I see a person who fought for the liberties, and I see people who fought for justice and freedom of white America, because at that moment, we were still chattel slavery, and that was three, we were three-fifths of the humans. All right, so he's demanding that that be removed. Um He's also demanding that the name change. They have a uh, second park, uh, Jackson Park, which is, again, um, named after Andrew Jackson. He was also a slave owner. Um, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We've got to take a break for the news. When we come back, it's big story number two. Is this the logical extension of what we've been doing with Confederate monuments? Do we need to rename Parks, um, our founding fathers, many of whom, Thomas Jefferson included, were, in fact, slave owners. Do we need to rename any park that is named after them? Do we need to remove any monument from, say, Washington Park? 414-799-1620. We discuss when we come back. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, this is the, we're right in the middle of our discussion of big story number two. This is this is the logical, in, in some respects, it is the next logical step from this controversy going on about Confederate monuments. The argument is, hey, the, these the people who fought in the Civil War on the side of the South, they were traitors, they were racists. How can they, in fact, be honored? All right, 
what's brought this to a head is there's now a pastor in Chicago and um, in south side of Chicago, predominantly black neighborhoods, there are two public parks. One is called Washington Park. It is named after the the first president of the United States, George Washington. There is apparently a, a bronze statue of Washington on a horse. Nearby, there's another park. It is uh, Jackson Park. It is named after Andrew Jackson, another president of the United States. This pastor is demanding that the Chicago Park District rename the parks. I'm calling on them, looking at the email, I'm calling on them to change the names of Washington and Jackson Park. Slave owners do not deserve the honor of our children playing in parks named after them. He's also demanding that the statue of George Washington that sits in Washington Park be taken down. He goes on to say, there's no way a Native American community would allow a General Custer Park or a Jewish community would allow a Gestapo Park in their community. So he equates Washington Park with a statue of President Washington with a Gestapo Park. Hmm. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Sandy in Brown Deer. Sandy, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I didn't know you could remake history by changing names. This is stupid. This is absolutely the most stupid thing I've ever heard. These kids are going to learn about Washington, about Jackson, about Johnson. That was what was going on 200 and some odd years ago. Mm-hmm. This is now 2017. Why in the world would you want to kill the history of this great country? Well, I guess he wouldn't say you want to kill the history. He would say the argument would be our founding fathers, in some cases, were slave owners they were evil people, and we cannot, we should not be honoring our founding fathers because they were slave owners. Well, yeah, but how do we know it's true? I mean, how do we know what the conditions were? None of us were alive back then. Well, well, and I, I mean, and of course, it, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was, in fact, a different time. And, and I guess that this is what always troubles me about all of this: that you're going to, it, it, was was slavery horrible? Absolutely, a- absolutely. But you're now going to say, all right, we, we've got, we're going to say that by 2017 standards, we're now going to apply that and judge the lives of people and what they did in, in 1776 or 1780 or, or whatever. And we're going to say, well, they're not worthy of being recognized. Well, I mean, at that point in time, it does come to a question of can you, in fact, sanitize history? And the fact that George Washington owned slaves. Does that mean in and of himself that given all the things he, other things he did, that we can't recognize that this was a great man, one of the founding fathers? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, good morning. I'm just being facetious. Hi, Tony. Go ahead. No. Sorry, Tony. You have problems with the phone line. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Bill, um, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Bill. Oh, good morning. Good Hi, morning. Uh, yeah, my comment would be: uh, I, I don't disagree with taking some of these statues down, and and but renaming a park 
And how about let's take George Washington off the one dollar bill? Well, that's I mean, you know that that's it. You know what about you know you you've got it, it goes beyond just a park. I mean, you've got you've got currency that's out there. You've got buildings that are named after Washington. You've got communities that are named after Washington. You've got streets that are named after Washington. I mean, have we now gotten to this point where we have to now sanitize history because we want to say, okay, well, he was a slave owner. We can't recognize the contributions he made to founding this country. Where do you draw the line? Exactly. You know, uh, I was in the service with with a a black drill sergeant when I first got drafted. We respected those people and treated them just like the rest of the world. Well, I, and, right. I mean, thanks. For, I mean, it's, look, I mean, look, and I, I, I understand. I mean, no, if, but, okay, slavery has been gone from this country since Lincoln freed the slaves in 1860-whatever with the Emancipation Proclamation. This, the, the era of slavery in this country is appalling. There, there is no question about that. But, but that's, but you know, slavery has been outlawed again since the 1860s. To try to simply say, to look at people who were the founding fathers of this country, who did great, great things, for whom, you know, set up the, the whole framework of this country, and to say that, okay, you're no longer sufficient to be honored for your accomplishments in your time based on what our standards and judgment is going to be 250 years later, to me is scary. And it's where do you draw the line? And I will, I will also say this. I mean, it's really quickly, it's easy to go over the top, to equate a statue of George Washington or a park named Washington Park with, gee, would anybody tolerate Gestapo Park is over the top and, at least in my opinion, is, is offensive. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Diane in Chicago. Diane, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How far are they going to go with this? Are we going to change the name of Washington, D.C. to just D.C. or the state of Washington or Madison, Wisconsin. Right, exactly. James Madison. James Madison was a slave owner. What do we do about that? Sure. It's it's just getting out of hand. It's just getting out of hand. it, it, It is. It's this idea and this attempt to sanitize history and, again, to try to judge people who lived 250 or 300 years ago by the social norms of 2017 and say that they they are not worthy and they don't measure up. I I think you have to judge people by, you know, what they did in their time and you can condemn the practices. I think we could all condemn slavery, but that doesn't mean that George Washington isn't worthy of being honored because he was a slave owner. Absolutely. Now, thank, thanks for the call. Well, we continue the discussion right there. If you're on the line, please hold on. Uh, the genesis of this, this is the logical extension. This, to me, I, while I don't agree with, I don't necessarily agree with the, the, need, the idea that every memorial, every Confederate war memorial or monument needs to be taken down. I have a more nuanced opinion on that. But this is now the logic. At least I understand that the argument is, okay, these Confederate war monuments, these are these people were fighting for slavery. They were traitors to the Union. All right, that that. That at least an argument you can make. But can you now continue this to say, okay, well, George Washington was a slave owner. James Madison was a slave owner. Andrew Jackson was a slave owner. We can't have parks or cities named after them. We continue the conversation next. It's 916. This is Jeff Wagner. It 
It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time, has provided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Now, Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee, and we are sending you, keep listening, sometime between now and noon, you'll have a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot at the Paps Theater on Sunday, September 17th. I, I'm just back at that exchange when, when Mike Spaulding and I were, were just talking. I... I'm, I'm going to back into the bigger topic here, but I have to rant for a minute. If if you learn the first day you get involved in politics that there are people, there will be people out there that oppose you because you're a Republican or because you're a Democrat. There will be people out there who aren't going to be your friends who don't want you to succeed. And, and no matter how nice you are to them, no matter how accommodating you are to them, it doesn't matter. They're on the other side of the aisle. They don't want to see you succeed. They are your political enemies. Now, I'm not saying that that means that you have to, I, 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 again, that you have to say, okay, I'm going to have this form of retribution. But you have to understand, these people are not out there to help your career. And you have to just treat it accordingly, which is why it was bizarre to me that President Trump decides to sit down with the New York Times, which is pretty much his sworn enemy. I mean, I I read the New York Times on a daily basis, so you don't have to. And I, I will tell you, I, I used to say that 90% of the stories were anti-Trump or the news stories are spun in a fashion to be anti-Trump. Now I think it's probably 100%. I, I, don't, I don't know that there is anything that President Trump could do that would get any sort of positive spin. That's the nature of the stories. They have decided, not just editorially, but I think in the news department, that anything Trump does is evil and they, they want to undermine it. Oh, okay, fine. So why, why in God's green earth would you sit down with the New York Times and give them an interview where you literally lift your leg and pee all over your attorney general? Remember all this stuff about Jeff Sessions? It started... In, a, in an interview that Trump gives with, of all places, the New York Times. All right, so then you have the, uh, again, the, the flamethrower, that this this crazy, you know, Anthony Scaramucci, who uh, becomes the White House communications director, who picks up the phone. And I, th- th- it's not like he was requested to sit down for an interview. He picks up the phone and calls this guy who is a writer for the New Yorker magazine, which is not a conservative magazine. And then he goes off on on this obscene, vulgar rant about former White House chief of staff, you know, Reince Priebus. Um, you know, he, he goes after leaks. He attacks Stephen Bannon. Um, he uses phrases and terms which... Again, when when he, I, I couldn't even describe some of these on the radio. I, you just, and it's like he calls up this lefty reporter and goes on th- this rant, and and his his comment afterwards was, I, I thought this was going to be off the record. Oh, okay, well, well, first of all, why would you call this person up and say these things at all? I mean, and then you have the latest story. Okay, Steve Bannon who is, you know, one of the, the founders of, of Breitbart and, you know, now one of the chief White House strategists who's, if you believe the reports, he's kind of on the outs. Um, you know, he apparently, he calls up um, one of the co-editors with 
the American Prospect, which is a big-time left-wing magazine. He calls up the co-editor. It's not even like they put in a request, hey, would you sit down, Mr. Bannon, for an interview? He calls them up out of the blue in response to a column that the guy had written, and then they start talking about China. He starts talking about how he wants to neutralize rivals at the Department of Defense. He starts talking about South Korea. He starts making things, statements that are in conflict with some of the positions that the president is taking. But but he says all this stuff gratuitously in a phone call that he makes to the editor of a magazine that is clearly hostile towards him and the Trump administration. And then when, surprisingly, the editor-slash-reporter runs with the story, the answer is, well, I, I thought it was off the record, which begs the question, off the record, on the record, why would you call somebody in the first place? I mean, it just... I, I just I'm look, I, I mean I, I was never in politics at this kind of level, but my God, if, if you you know if you know you've got some, you know, left wing publication or left wing activists, what why are you going to give interviews with them uh, and then say these things you, you said? All right, I had to get that off my chest. All right, it is now day one, two, three, four, five, six, I guess, of the ongoing controversy involving, you know, the president's remarks after the horrible events in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, over the weekend. As as I have said repeatedly, I think I think he was unfairly criticized on Saturday for his initial remarks, where you know they didn't have all the information at the time. Who was involved in this? He condemned hatred. He condemned bigotry. I thought some of the outrage was sort of just kind of a mock outrage. I thought his remarks on Monday, this would be the president's remarks, and we carried them, struck the right tone. He clearly, he denounced bigotry and racism. He called out groups like the white supremacists and the KKK. I, I thought his remarks were 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 appropriate. Now, I also understand that among the, the folks that don't like President Trump, it, it wasn't going to make them happy because even though the remarks were fine, the, the argument was it was too, you know, too little, too late. You know, he, he so but I understand he wasn't going to make people happy, but I thought the remarks were, were fine. Should he have given him a day earlier? Oh, OK, I, I wouldn't have had a problem with that either. But I thought the remarks were fine. It struck the right tone. Um, then you have the, the the press conference two days ago. He, he's at Trump Tower in New York. He comes down. The press conference is supposed to be about an infrastructure bill, which, by the way, passed yesterday. It, it's actually a very, very good bill. The plan was for the president to talk about the infrastructure bill. And this, this was this was planned. He was going to talk about the infrastructure bill. He was not going to take questions. He was then going to turn over the news conference, the presser, to a couple people to work who were going to talk about the details of that, and he was going to leave. Right? That, that was what the plan was, and, and that's what everybody had agreed to. Well, all right, predictably, he gets there, he starts making his remarks, and then the press starts throwing him questions about, uh, again, the statements he's made. Instead of simply saying, I have, and if this, if I were advising, the, if I were the president, I would have said, 
I've said I've made statements about this. I have said all I have to say about Charlottesville at this point in time. My words and comments and actions stand by themselves. Boom. That's it. That, that's how I would have handled it. But instead, he decides to, uh, again, go off script and get into this sort of angry, petulant debate with members of the media. Somebody yesterday when we were talking about this described it as kind of like a food fight at a middle school. And I think that's, that's probably a good thing because you've got the feeding frenzy, the gaggle of reporters who want to play gotcha or whatever. And you've got the president who then responds. And in my opinion, he ends up digging himself into a deeper and deeper hole instead of just leaving his remarks as they were on Monday, which I think hit the appropriate tone. Now he's, he's being accused of, okay, moral equivalency between the white supremacists and the protesters, all this stuff. But you've made it a multiple-day story. And I was watching the press conference, and his chief of staff, four-star General John Kelly, if you watch Kelly, he's standing in the background. He's just looking at the ground. And I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, my God, we're off the rails. We talked about this. How do I rein this guy in? All right, 414-799-1620. I I have always, in the last several months, tried to make a distinction between style and substance. The the substance of things that President Trump is trying to do, which in large measure I, I support a lot of the stuff. The style that he brings, though, which just completely, day after day after day, steps on steps on the message, the style which steps on the substance. So instead of talking about this infrastructure bill, you know, we're we're now talking about, uh, again, you know, does he think there's a moral equivalency between, you know, the protesters and and white supremacists? And, And nobody's talking about the infrastructure bill. And I understand you can blame the media to an extent because the media has an agenda and they want to bring down the president. I get that. But at the same time, when you have a president who has the impulse control and the lack of discipline like a fruit fly, what ends up happening is, I guess my point is, I think President Trump is in many respects, he is his own worst enemy. And I think the lack of discipline coming from the president is in danger of sinking his administration. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is is Trump just telling it like it is? And is he a victim of the, the, the media bias that's out there? Or does he have some to blame? I mean, is this lack of discipline, his inability to stay on message, his need to fire back at anybody or anything that questions any of his activities, his inability to just let it go, his inability to leave well enough alone, is that hurting the administration? I think it is. And I think unless he figures out, unless somebody around him figures out a way to rein him in, and I'm not sure how you do it, um, I, I think you're going to have a president who is crippled for the length of his term and the possibility, and I say possibility, that he might take down a bunch of Republicans with him. 414-799-1620. Is the president too undisciplined, or is this just the mainstream media out to get him? Or could it be both? It's 948. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is big thing number three. It's 951. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
Um, Confederate statues are coming down in many cities across America. Does removing them truly help the healing for those impacted by racism? John McCure investigates at 340 today during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Brian in Brookfield. Brian, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, Sigma. Yeah, Hi, hey, Brian. Call. I, think, I think the problem is Trump, over all of his years, and I am a supporter, uh, running, running his business successfully, he's used to running people over, whether it's individuals or banks, because people hold a lot of mortgages. And he can kind of force them to do whatever he wants because he's so rich. Now, fast forward to becoming a politician, I think he's trying to run the presidency like his corporation, and he can't run people over because at the end of the day, he really can't run over the United States, even though he's trying. And I think he needs to re reevaluate his approach because he, he's getting a lot of things done that are not getting... Yeah, I mean, the infrastructure bill is like, nobody, you know, this would, this was a big deal yesterday. Nobody even heard about it because all everybody's talking about is, you know, this, uh, the stuff he said. He's he's stepping on his own, uh, accomplishments, you know, because of his mouth and he's trying to, you know, pick a fight with the media instead of, he should just say no comment, don't do any press conferences. Okay, will he, but okay, but. This is the question, Brian. You're, you're, you said you're you said you're a supporter. He's seventy some yeah. years old. Do you think he? Do you think he he's he can change? Can you? Because I think you're right. He's for whatever reason. This is the way this guy has been his entire life. Can can he change? Can he rein himself in? Probably probably not. Uh, I would I would think or hope that uh, with General Kelly and maybe his daughter who was younger and his sons who kind of can maybe take a step back and see what's going on maybe they can rein him in he's never going to change but you know he has an ego yes. and if they were to convince him that his legacy could be great maybe like ronald reagan with all of his accomplishments but they're all going to be mired in the mud because he keeps on getting in these sling fests with the media no matter what he says no matter what he does even if he's 100 percent correct they're going to talk about the negatives and everything else and it's going to overshadow his accomplishments um, yeah, th- I, I mean, y- y- yes, I guess I just I-, I think this is going to be the new normal. And this is one of the things that I was concerned about during the campaign. And look, and I, I understand I have a more nuanced view of the president than some people. There's some people that just love everything he does. There's some people that just hate the president. And and I, I don't know if it's a middle ground. I criticize him when I think he deserves to be criticized, like this press conference on Tuesday. Um, I, I also, you know, when there's good stuff that's done, I, I want to give him credit for that. But I, I will tell you, as somebody who's been around politics for a long time now, you, you, you've got to rein yourself in, and it's it's getting worse, not better. I'm looking at the story in the New York Post about this. The, the aides are apparently using the phrase that he went rogue. During, and th- this, was, this was supposed to be, they talked about it with him. They had discussed this. You've got this volatile story about Charlottesville, and maybe he feels that he was, you know, unjustly attacked for his remarks on Saturday. I understand. A reasonable person can perhaps feel that way. Again, like I say, I thought his tone on Monday was perfect. You know, why you would revisit this, especially off the cuff, impromptu, and get into this angry, defensive back and forth with the media gaggles beyond me. That The story in the New York Post. They're talking about how Trump aides, the headline is, Trump aides were stunned after rogue 
press conference. President Trump stunned his top aide at a combative news conference on Tuesday, ignoring their advice to turn the corner on Charlottesville by getting into a heated back and forth with reporters after he'd agreed privately not to take questions. The president went rogue, a senior White House official told NBC News. Um, Advisors cooked up what they thought was a foolproof plan for the press conference. He would tout the infrastructure executive order he had signed, then head upstairs and leave his aides to answer any infrastructure questions in the lobby. But Trump went off script and launched into a raging defense of his provocative reaction to the violence in Virginia. And, of course, just made things worse. Tom in Fond du Lac. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jeff, I totally agree with you. Um, I was a Trump supporter. I voted for him as the lesser of two evils. Right. Um, and I I just don't understand it. You know, this person in this office should be above this type of rhetoric. He should be professional. He should be someone who can be respected and looked up to. Um, this is totally off the wall. And this business with Twittering, his comments out, uh, is right. just absolutely off the charts. Well, right. And, and see, and Tom, I'm not, I mean, I understand a politician president, senator, whatever, using social media to go around or over um, the, the mainstream media if you don't think you're getting your message out. So, I mean, I, I, I get that. But but the way he uses Twitter, <laughs> you know, is, is just you, you launch off on these, uh, again, the, these sort of angry rants. He uses it like a 17-year-old girl who's upset with a couple of her friends who've done something to her uses it. And, and that's that's what the problem is, and it it steps on his message. We're not talking about the infrastructure bill, or the the executive order. We're, we're talking about this. And um, now, thanks. And, that, and see, th- this is this is what the concern is. Again, that I think more and more people aren't able to separate style from substance. Look, I I talked to some of my friends yesterday in Republican Party politics, and there was a degree of frustration because. All everybody was being asked, if you were an elected official, if you were Senator Ron Johnson, if you were Congressman Paul Ryan, if you were Governor Scott Walker, you know, you whatever you wanted to talk about yesterday, whatever was on your agenda, Foxconn or North Korea or whatever, tax reform, that's not what anybody was talking about. You were being asked, well, will you denounce Donald Trump? I mean, so Trump not only takes himself off message, but he takes every Republican politician off message as well. And I understand some people think it's part of a this, this grand strategy to distract from other issues. No, it's not. I, I just, I don't, it, it's a thin-skinned guy who gets angry and decides that instead of just letting it go, you, you've, you've got to lash out. Trust me, anybody, anybody that has a public figure at all, there, there's times that, you know, somebody says something or you get some troll that sends some nasty email or whatever, and you want to respond. But at the same time, you think, well, why? Why, why? why do that? Just move on. Ignore it. Life is too short. It's 958. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1009. This is Jeff Wagner. All right. Our last conversation, this is whenever I talk about President Trump and how he's doing, I just I get all sorts of input from people on both sides of this. 
Um, some who just still don't get it. All right, here, here's one of the, the texts we have. Jeff, we did not elect Trump to do anything other than what he is doing. Now we need to correct eight years of Obama. The people spoke. Now let him work. Now here, here's, here's the problem. Yes, yes, Trump was elected to try to correct and reverse a number of things that President Obama did. I agree with that. But here's the problem. He, he, it's not working. The problem is because he is undisciplined, because he can't focus, because he is thin-skinned, because he launches off on these tirades, it is getting in the way, in my opinion, of what he was elected to do. Because, again, he signs this executive order on infrastructure. It's a big deal. Nobody knows about it. Because all everybody's talking about is, again, and I, look, I, I understand the media is out to get him. I accept that. But he plays into this type of thing. So, I mean, yeah, I would like to see the president do what largely he was elected to, to do. Um, but but he's, he's the one that is making his job a lot more difficult, in my opinion, by the way – by his lack of discipline. And I guess that's the best way I can say it. And I think that he is in danger of he, he's in danger of torpedoing his presidency if he can't figure out a way to stay on message. And he's certainly in danger of potentially taking down a bunch of Republicans with him. Like I say yesterday, uh, what, whatever Scott Walker wanted to talk about, whatever Ron Johnson wanted to talk about, whatever Paul Ryan wanted to talk about, whatever Glenn Grothman or Sean Duffy or Mike Gallagher wanted to talk about yesterday – um, that that they, they were just they were being asked. It's like, OK, well, will you denounce President Trump? What do you think about this? Which, again, distracts from whatever the message was going to be. Just saying. All right. As long as we are courting controversy and going where angels fear to tread. Here is the story. I know Mike was just talking about this. Um, Channel 12 had, had this is where at least I saw it first on Channel 12. Credit where credit is due. Um, last weekend guy decides he is going to go to the milwaukee county zoo now bd who's producing the show today have you been to the county zoo you ever been to the county zoo i i i'm a i'm a big fan of the county zoo um you've got all sorts of things going on was it last week was it last week or this week is their last this week is their their feast with the beast thing right the they used to call it zoo a la carte i'm not sure they still do anymore but you know they have all all sorts of restaurants that set up it's it's a wonderful event we in the past have broadcast live from there at some point in time i don't think we're doing that this year but it you know it it, it's one it's a it's a world-class zoo and and it's a lot of fun and it's it's family oriented um, and I, I think a lot of people have a good time going to, to, to the zoo. Okay, so here is the story the way uh, Channel 12 reported it. A gun rights activist took his gun last weekend to the Milwaukee County Zoo where he was stopped by sheriff's deputies. Um, guy rode his Harley to the zoo wearing his signature gear, his Second Amendment patches, and carrying his forty five caliber Glock. It was my girlfriend's birthday, and she likes elephants. That's why I was there, he said. We walked into the farm exhibit area. I assume that's like the petting zoo. Um, and one officer pulls up, stops me, and says we can't have the firearm in the park. The guy says he recorded the interaction with the Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputies. His video runs more than an hour as deputies checked on the law. Ultimately, they determined he was right. 
The Milwaukee County Zoo told Channel 12 it does not allow the open or concealed carry of any weapons in any zoo building or during any posted special event. But state law exempts public grounds. You can carry on the grounds. You just can't carry in the buildings, he said. So he goes to the zoo. He's he's packing a gun. And he's walking around with the gun, and he says, okay, I, I know the law. I can carry it outside. I just can't carry it in the building. Um, the reporter for Channel 12 says, do you think there should be guns at the zoo? His response is, absolutely. Shootings happen at the zoo. Shootings happen at schools, at theaters. People have the right to defend themselves. Then they go on to interview a lot of people there. Somebody says, I don't think why, I don't understand why he would need to bring a gun to the zoo. Somebody else said, "Um, it's a family event. Why would you bring a gun? It's unnecessary. All right. Somebody else says, I'd rather have open carry or concealed carry with a bunch of them in there than not know. Um, The guy says he believes that the more people are seen carrying weapons, the more acceptable it will become. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, where to start with this? As somebody who for years argued that Wisconsin should have a form of concealed carry, wherein People with the appropriate permit should be able to carry a firearm in order to defend themselves. I will tell you this. People walking around the Milwaukee County Zoo, you know, toting firearms, in my opinion, do absolutely nothing to further the cause of gun rights activists. Um, I could not disagree with this guy more than when he says the more people are seen carrying weapons, the more acceptable it will become. Um, I, I think I, I think the reason you bring a firearm to the Milwaukee County Zoo is because you are trying to, uh, again, make a point to provoke a confrontation with police. I don't think and I'm not going to get into the legality of this, but. I don't think that you do I don't think that you do the gun rights movement any favors at all by carrying guns by the average citizen uh, a guy walking around with a gun at the zoo and to be honest with you I I don't know what the real purpose of that is now I understand that they have shootings everywhere I I get it but it, it's the zoo there's kids around The chances are lots of people are going to be freaked out by this, and I don't know what you accomplish. Same thing is true, and I've said the same thing before about the people that, you know, walk around up and down the streets toting the um, shotguns or the rifles and try to walk into farmer's markets and things like that. Just because you may have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you think about the guy carrying the gun at the zoo? He says the more people are seen carrying weapons at places like the zoo, the more acceptable it will become. I don't think so. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1017. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 19, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ, BD, who's producing the show. Powerball, nobody hit it last night, 510 million bucks. I tell you, I'm, I'm buying it. I'm buying a ticket, and uh, 
you know, I'm getting married at the end of next month. And so this might be, uh, you know, it, maybe our wedding plans might change a little bit. You know, instead of doing it where we're doing, maybe we'll take everybody that's coming to the wedding and just fly them somewhere or something like that. We win that $510 million. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll, we'll see. All right. Guy goes to the zoo over the weekend. He's one of these gun rights activists. You know, the people that, the, the sort of people that, like, carry their guns into the farmer's market to see if they can get a reaction. Um, and that's what I believe this guy was doing. He brings, he shows up with his girlfriend. He goes to the county zoo. Now, the way the law works is apparently he can be outside, but you can't go into any of the buildings with the gun. So, okay, why do you bring the gun? I mean, really, why, why do you bring the gun? You're going to the zoo. If you know you can't go into the buildings, he goes into what they describe as the family farm area, the, the farm exhibit. I I could be wrong, but I think that's the petting zoo. I mean, I, I think that's, and, and again, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think it's the the farm exhibit area. That's what I. That's the petting zoo, and he carries the gun and the deputies, and then you have this hour thing that the guy stands and videotapes, and ultimately they decide, well, you're not. Yeah, you you can bring it into the outdoor areas. You can't bring it into the buildings. But I mean, why? Really, why? And this is somebody who supports Second Amendment rights. Okay, let's see. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Our text line is already exploding. Let me give you a couple different ones. Here's what somebody texts. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He brought a gun to create a fuss. He got his fuss, and no one is safer for it, and he needed to go into the kids' area. Why? In contrast, Michelle texts, Jeff, I could not disagree with you more. He has the right to open carry. Another text, I disagree, Jeff. A shooting can happen anywhere and anytime. Yes, the zoo is a family fun place, but how about schools? You just said that there are kids all around the zoo, but yet we are here of school shootings and kids dying in the schools. All right, 414-799-1620. I, I think people who do this aren't really doing it for protection. I think they're doing it to try to make a point. And I think that that point they are trying to make hurts the cause more than it helps it. That's just my take. Let's start with Lou in Oconomowoc. Lou, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hi, Lou. Um, I uh, was just telling your screener uh, was out at the dog park out here in Neshota, Tony Park. Right. And we had a gen- there was a gentleman out there, and you typically got a couple, two or three groups. But in the morning group, is always... A lot of the gals, coffee collection with their dogs, and they noticed a gentleman walking around the park with his gun pretty much on his hip um, and just kind of fiddling with it a bit, and they, they got nervous. So they asked the uh, county ranger out there, you know, hey, this guy's got a gun out here. Well, county ranger informed them that they uh, that he had every right to have the gun there and that, you know, that's the way it worked. And, and, I, and <laughs> the funny thing was, they mentioned it to me, and I go, oh, you got to be kidding me. So, But they um, ended up, the whole group, must have been 15 or 20 of them in this coffee right. clutch, they left the park. Right, because and he had the park to himself, and he, him and his dog and his, his high-powered, you know, pistol there, they, you know, they had the whole place to themselves. And I guess that's the whole, for the whole message. You know, it's, it goes, to me, this goes so antisocial, and it, it is an antisocial message. You know, I mean, we don't trust each other now. I, I'm 65 years old. Honestly, Jeff, I've never been shot at in a park. Not that it couldn't happen, hey. but I've seen and I've enjoyed the parks my whole life. But it's this antisocial, be afraid, be very afraid, because you know what? 
you know, we're here to protect you. Well, I don't know that that, you know, what's the difference between the guy protecting me and the guy, you know, the guy that just went off the rails? Well, I get, you and, know, you might, know and, and this is, I mean, thank, see, here, here's my problem with this whole thing, Lou. And, and again, I, I understand, and you know, I mean, I talk a lot about crime, for example, in the city of Milwaukee and how it's spreading. And I understand why people would want to carry concealed weapons in certain types of situations. I, I get it. But and, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who used to do this. I mean, I when, when I was I've told the story before, when I was in the U.S. attorney's office, there was three years that I carried a gun. Um, but, but I didn't carry it everywhere. I, I, I didn't. And, and there were. I mean, if I was going into, if I was going to the zoo, I wouldn't have taken that gun with me. First of all, you've got security guards, you've got other things. But, but secondly, um, for for example, when he goes to the zoo, he knows that he's not going to be able to go into the building. So you can't go into the reptile house. You can't go in and uh, into the buildings where you look at the lions. You can't go into the monkey house, into the gorilla house. You can't do any of that stuff. Which tells me again that the reason he was carrying the gun was not as much, gee, I think I have this legitimate fear that there's going to be the shootout, but instead was I'm going to be trying to make, I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to provoke a reaction. And, and yeah, I get it. But at the same time, you know, do you really need that? And I understand I'm getting texts. Well, if there was a shooting and he stopped it, it would be hypocritical to criticize him. Yes, I, I understand that. But you need to have this type of balancing that's there. And I guess I, I also recognize how busy law enforcement is that you know to have to deal with these people who are making a point the folks walking down the sidewalks carrying the you know deer hunting rifles trying to see if somebody's going to call the police and how the police respond to it i mean really let's talk to mike on the northwest side mike you're on 620 wtmj hey good morning jeff uh i'm a gun advocate i own guns and i uh think that these guys that carry around assault rifles to like the zoo or a public museum or a using park, they're just you know they're they're hurting the gun people. I agree. See, and now this was he had a handgun. It wasn't it wasn't one of the high powered rifles. But yes, they're. Well, I know, but I, I think saying, it steps you know, on the message. I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's go all my comments. Okay, good. Thank. I mean, I, I guess that's. That's it, because people look. I I understand. You know, if you're carrying jewelry in the you know high crime areas, the inner city of Milwaukee, I understand why you might want to carry a firearm. If you're you know a a, a single woman who you know walks uh, again at night or during the day nowadays, I understand why you might want to carry a firearm. I support your right to do it, but I do just because you have a right to do something, doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do or there's a necessity to do it. Anywhere, anytime. And I firmly believe that some of the people who, again, I mean, if you're ready, hey, I mean, I believe this guy went to the zoo on Sunday intending to provoke a response, got the response, stood there, videotaped the sheriff's deputies for an hour while they're trying to check this thing out, determined ultimately that the guy was right, not the deputies. But but still, this idea that this is going to normalize stuff, I don't think so. I think you hurt the cause. By doing this. It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 6.0 WTMJ, Tom in Sheboygan Falls wins our tickets to see uh, Gordon Lightfoot when he performs next month at the um, Pabst. What's the next best step for the Trump presidency after this week's controversy in light of the Charlottesville situation? Or has irreparable damage been done? John McCure explores those questions at 520 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Now, BD, who's producing the program, if, if you saw me d- during the break, is I, I, the next topic we're going to take phone calls on is, is Foxconn, which is going to. 
be it's going to pass the assembly later on today. But it was one of those I had one of these moments where I just I put my head down and I just I, I'm I was banging it against the, the little desk that we have here because we we had this discussion about 30 35 minutes ago about I'm a guy who I want to see the president succeed. I, I do. And there's a lot of stuff that he is doing, stuff that, that I that I agree with. Uh, not everything, but there's a lot of stuff that, that he's doing that, that I uh, agree with. I am concerned. And there's a lot more stuff that needs to get done. We, we got to fix health care. You know, uh, we got to we got to have we need tax reform. We need to figure out. You know, how to deal with the North Koreas of the world. You know, we need to, uh, again, figure out how to keep the economy growing. There, there are significant issues that, that are out there. And some stuff I agree with the president on, some stuff I don't. But I, I want to see him succeed. My concern is that he, by by obsessing and, and allowing himself to get drawn into the, these disputes, he, he steps on his his message. And you've seen this since the start of the presidency. You know, you, you saw this. All right. There, there's this issue. Who, who did more people show up at Barack Obama's inauguration than showed up at Donald Trump's inauguration? Who cares? I mean, who cares? But yet, you know, you, you had the president who was saying there were more and then attacking the media for not reporting. Who cares? I mean, and it, it's like one issue like that after another where you, how, how many days did we spend time? And part of it's the fault of the media, but part of it is the fault of the president. Um, you know, the, the president maintaining this position that, you know, he would have had five million more popular votes if it weren't for all the illegal votes that were cast. All right. Do I do I think we have a, an, an issue with the degree of vote fraud? Yes. Were there five million? Of course not. Nobody thinks that. There's no evidence of that. And yet we, we were talking about that for days and days and days because the president tweets this out and then it just it becomes the story. And then he decides he gets his back up when there's pushback. And then we're talking about this extraneous stuff that nobody gives a rat's rump about. All right, now, I have said repeatedly, and I get a couple texts from people who disagree with me on this, but I, I, I did not criticize him. I thought the Saturday response was okay. I thought his Monday response to Charlottesville what was absolutely, it was the perfect tone. It should have put an end to it. Should have put an end to it. And on Tuesday, he, as some of his aides are saying, he goes rogue and starts talking off the cuff and launches back and gets into this food fight with the media, and then this is now all everybody is talking about. You would have thought, for the love of God, just let this go. Move on. And he's not. He's back on on Twitter this morning. Um, One of the Republicans who criticized him is Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina. So... Earlier this morning, he he takes to Twitter, publicity-seeking Lindsey Graham falsely stated that I said there is moral equivalency between the KOKK, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists, and people like Ms. Heyer, the woman who was killed by the white supremacists. Such a disgusting lie. He just can't forget his election trouncing. The people of South Carolina will remember. Okay, Lindsey Graham is a Republican. You got 52 Republicans in the Senate. You need Lindsey Graham if you're going to be able to advance your agenda. What what do you gain 
by attacking Lindsey Graham, because even if you're right, all you've done is you've now made this story another day story. Then he continues. One of his other critics is Arizona Senator Jeff Flake. So he takes the Twitter again. Great to see Dr. Kelly Ward is running against Flake. Jeff Flake, who is weak on borders, crime, and a non-factor in the Senate. He's toxic. Again, you've got 52 U.S. senators. You know, you, you, you need them, Republican U.S. senators, you need them to pass your agenda. Why are you attacking them? And then, just a short while ago, in what passes understanding for me, he decides to gratuitously wade into the whole issue on Confederate monuments. Now, I have a position on it. I'm not sure my position necessarily is that different than the president's. I'm not exactly positive where the president stands. But at this point in time, given all that is going on, why in the world would you gratuitously now continue to throw yourself into the midst of this? But here's what he tweets out. Sad to see the history and culture of our great country being ripped apart with the removal of our beautiful statues and monuments. You can't change history, but you can learn from it. Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, who's next? Washington, Jefferson, so foolish. Also, the beauty that is being taken out of our cities, towns, and parks will be greatly missed and never able to be comparably replaced. Okay, I don't want to comment on the accuracy of that one way or the other. Okay, I, I, I don't care. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. But again, given that this story has been out there since Saturday, given the fact that the president probably isn't winning this public debate on it, why in God's green earth would you gratuitously this morning now decide to weigh in on the, the Confederate monument thing? I mean, talk about infrastructure, talk about North Korea, talk about health care reform. But again, this is now going to, by, by sending out these tweets, you have guaranteed that this is now going to be a, the next thing that dominates the news cycle for the next 24 or 48 hours. If I'm, if I'm General Kelly, I mean, I, I'm sitting there saying, well, that was a good ride. I, I had two weeks where I posed a little bit of discipline, but again, whether you agree with the president or not, why you gratuitously throw yourself in the middle of this just, in my opinion at least, passes understanding. Just saying, okay, we're going to pass Foxconn. The Assembly is going to pass Foxconn later today. They will have some Democrat votes, I am being told. Um, The question is, will we come to regret this? And that's what I want to discuss with you when we come back. It's 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Ten forty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. One of our texts: The president is not unlike the salesperson who gets the sale but doesn't know when to shut up. Then they keep talking until they almost undo the sale. It was actually I was having that conversation with somebody not that long ago. They, they asked me a question, and I, I gave them the answer that they wanted to hear. I said yes, and then. They kept asking me different variations of the question. I explained to them, this is one of the things you learn as a trial lawyer early on, which is when you get the answer you want, quit, quit, quit take a yes, and, and then move on. Because inevitably, you see this with bad trial lawyers or young trial lawyers. They ask a question, they get the answer that they want or need, and then they decide to ask other variations of the question until sooner or later they get the witness to back off. So, I mean, yeah, it's like, okay, 
the whole thing. Quit while you're ahead. I was actually telling this person. I said, you asked me the question. I, I gave you, I said yes. I gave you the answer you wanted. Now you've rephrased the question in a different way that the answer isn't necessarily going to be yes. Why don't you just quit at yes and be happy? And I'm just trying to, trying to be an ed- educator here as well. All right. Um, later on this afternoon, the, the Foxconn deal, and we have talked about this extensively. The Foxconn deal is going to go to a vote in the state assembly. It will pass overwhelmingly. I think all Republicans will vote for it. My guess is a handful of Democrats, particularly Democrats who represent the Racine and Kenosha areas, will vote for it. It'll be interesting to see whether any Milwaukee Democrats vote for it in the assembly. Um, If they don't, going to be real interesting because these are these are folks that in many cases represent districts where high unemployment rates and things like that so i i don't know but it's going to pass and it's going to pass overwhelmingly what happens then is it goes to uh the finance committee and it goes to the state senate so whatever version of foxconn passes today through the assembly it is not necessarily going to be the, the version that ultimately ends up on the governor's desk, but it's going to be pretty close. I mean, I'm being told that there's not going to be major drastic changes, and something close to the form the bill is in now is going to be what Governor Walker gets and he signs. All right? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a sincere question. There is, I think it is a great deal. I think it has the ability to use the cliche to be a game changer for Wisconsin. But, 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 I understand that there is an element of risk. Now, Foxconn is going to be up front, you know, spending seven, eight, nine, ten billion dollars that they're going to be putting into the Wisconsin economy just to build their facility. You know, that's seven, eight, nine, ten billion dollars that we don't have. We don't have if we get Foxconn. But I understand that there's questions moving forward. You've got this tax incentive package that is out there. It's tied to Foxconn's performance. But I, I guess theoretically, Foxconn could build the plant and then they could vacate. Now, they wouldn't get all of the incentives, but they'd get some money. Uh, there, there, there are risks that are involved. And I understand, yes, the argument, you know, Foxconn talked about doing something like this in Pennsylvania, and then they never followed through. But, of course, if they don't follow through, they, they don't get the, the tax incentives. It's really a public kind of private partnership. But there are risks. And I understand people call up and they say, well, there's the, the possibility that technology could change. And maybe 10 years from now, we're, we're not going to be using iPhones like this. Or we're not going to be watching flat panel TV screens or whatever. I, and, and I guess there, there's always some risk that is involved. But, 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 is, and I want you to look into your crystal ball here, do you think, moving forward, are we going to regret approving the Foxconn deal, or are we going to look back five years from now and ten years from now and agree with what Governor Walker is talking about and what a lot of the Republicans in the legislature are saying, that this is going to be a game changer, that this is going to be transformative for the state. Are we going to regret Foxconn, or are we going to be happy that we did this in 2017? 
What do you think and why? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will we regret what is going to happen today in the legislature and what's going to happen over the next couple weeks in the legislature? Are we going to regret Foxconn? 1051, if you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Earlier this week, longtime WTMJ newsman Frank Richardson passed away. Our own Gene Miller offered a touching remembrance of his former colleague. You can hear it in Tuesday's Wisconsin's Morning News show podcast, it's up now at under the mobile tab at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. When you're out there, hey, check out the podcast. We podcast my show every day, and I know lots of you listen to it because you can't hear all three and a half hours because you've got, well, other stuff that comes in. But I know a lot of people download it, listen to the podcast as they're out of the gym and things like that. All right, here, here is the reality. Foxconn is going to pass the state assembly Later this afternoon, it will have a handful of Democrat votes. I'm going to be curious to see which Democrats vote for it and which vote against it. But it's going to pass. It's going to go to the state Senate. Ultimately, in, in a form, I think, close to what's going through the assembly, it's going to pass. Are we going to look back at today and the next couple weeks Five years from now, ten years from now, and say, my God, I, what were we thinking? I, we made a huge mistake. Are we going to regret this? Let's start with Mark in Appleton. Mark, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, my, my only reservation, and I'm in favor of the Foxconn deal, my only reservation is I hope the people negotiating the deal were smart enough to require that a very high percentage of the floor employees and management have to be Wisconsin residents. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, Mark. I, I was during during the break. I was talking to my my producer, and of all the different times that we've talked about Foxconn, uh, for people who've called in and who've had some hesitations, the the thing that you just said that that's the thing I hear the most: the concern that the, the, a belief that yes, Foxconn is going to is Foxconn is going to create jobs, but worry that maybe it's going to be the flatlanders to take a lot of those jobs right so right. that would be my concern otherwise i'd say go for it so five or ten years from now we're going to look back and say this was a good deal we're glad we did it yes i believe we will yeah thank, thanks so i i do as well and I, I look and i i appreciate that there are there are there are risks involved there was a risk involved, for example, when we, we we did the assistance, corporate welfare, whatever you want to call it, to help Mercury Marines stay in the state. I mean, there, there's, there, there was a risk. I mean, that, that was actually, I think you can make an argument that Mercury Marine, and I understand there was lots few dollars involved, but it was a lot smaller type of, of thing. And it was a very, very risky situation. I mean, you know, outboard motors and things like that. Um, there was a risk that was involved. Part of that risk could have been that, hey, you know, you have the folks from Mercury Marine and they're still going to move or, you know, that the company's going to go out of of business. There, there was a risk. You look back on that, you say, hey, it, it kind of worked out. There was a risk when we made the commitment to build Miller Park. And, and believe me, I mean, as I, I've talked about, I, I was on the radio then and I still, and I know Miller Park, for some people, particularly in Racine County, still remains a sore subject that you were included in the five-county t- sales tax. But I think objectively, if you look back on, on Miller Park in the last 15 years, Miller Park was a, a success. 
Um, we've kept baseball here in southeastern Wisconsin, and I think that's good. Um, you've got that area around Miller Park that has started to develop. Yeah, I mean, I think Miller Park was a good investment. I think that the Bucks Downtown Arena ultimately is going to turn out to be a good investment, and I think Foxconn is going to be a good investment. Ryan in Oconomowoc. Ryan, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Hey, um, I, I totally agree with what you, what you just said, and actually that draws on what I wanted to say. Um, you know, people kind of draw the correlation between the, the new Bucks Arena and this Foxconn thing. But I think, I think the Bucks Arena, um, you know, actually is a lot more of a known entity. Um, you, you know where most, most of those jobs are definitely going to be local jobs, right? Um, it is, it's going into an area that where we already know, um, businesses are going to grow right. because of it. We know this. This is a known thing. The Foxconn thing, I, I am actually for it. Um, I, I just think it's much more of a coin flip. Uh, you know, I've, I've looked into the history of the the business and, and, and what they've done, sort of in the United States, and it it's it's gone both ways, right? So, um, you know, we had the success with Miller Park, we saw what happened, but with the Bucks Arena, it it was even more of a slam dunk, really. I mean, you know, this is mm-hmm. in an area right where the Bucks Arena already worked, right? So yeah, I guess, you, I guess you're, to, you're, you're doing right. Foxconn in a place where it's, it's going in the middle of nowhere. We don't know who who's gonna who's gonna, what are the who the core employees are gonna be. Um, we don't know how many jobs really are going to be made, you know. Right. But I, I guess I'm still for it because I I like growth, you know. Well, right, and it and it wouldn't have happened. I mean, thanks to call, and it wouldn't have happened without that deal. And, and again, maybe we'll look back and say we we got snookered, and you know they they took us to the cleaners and all that. But I I, I think it has the potential to be transformative. And I guess I think you know I, I, my hope is. Maybe this is just rose-colored glasses, but my hope is that we're going to be looking back on this 10 years from now, and we're going to say, look, here you've got this business. It's employing 8,000, 10,000 people. There's been all these other businesses that sprung up in the area, and it's kind of led a Wisconsin renaissance. Maybe I'll have to eat those words, but I hope not. It's 1109. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Uh, text line exploding. Let's see. Paul says, Foxconn, major mistake. They'll automate within a few years. Okay. Uh, Randy writes, what was it like when Toyota first brought their plant to the United States? And look what they're now going to build another one. I'm so tired of the negative people in the world in our country. Why can't Americans just start being Americans again? I'm all for the Fox. This is another text. I'm all for the Foxconn deal, and not worried about changes in technology. Like any business that wants to grow and prosper, they will adapt and embrace technology changes by investing in new processes, equipment, and employee training. I would say, especially if it's true that they have committed ten b as in billion dollars to build a facility. I, see, that's what I just can't get past. I mean, the and that gets glossed over. I mean, as, as a starting point, they, they come and they invest. $10 billion in building the facility wherever they're going to locate it in southeastern Wisconsin. That is $10 billion that, not all of it, but a lot of it's going to go to Wisconsin contractors. That That's money in people's pocket. And that's that that's a huge net gain right there before you even start talking about payrolls or ripple effects or whatever. But it's, it's one of those things that time will tell. And just like, like I say, I think if we look back on, on Miller Park and you look over the last 15 plus years or whatever, I think most people would say, yes, that, that turned out and there was a controversy. If you are new to this area, trust me, 
there was a huge controversy. Politicians lost their jobs, um, and, and it was just a, a major, major issue. I think most people would now say it turned out to be a good investment. Hopefully, we'll feel that same way about the Bucks Arena, and hopefully, we'll feel that way about Foxconn. All right, coming up in about 20 minutes, believe me, this week, we do need to lighten up some stuff. I'm getting these emails. People are saying, you're going to do Pop Culture Corner this week. Yes, we will do Pop Culture Corner, kind of take a break from all the craziness that is going on in the world. Uh, before that, though, um, and again, this this really isn't the president, but he's the one that's kind of launched into this, this battle. What, what happened is one of the people who criticized him for his remarks on Tuesday, um, was uh, Jeff Bezos the guy that runs Amazon? He's the Amazon, the chairman of, of Amazon. Um, and so President Trump, not able to let it go, decided that he was going to respond to the Amazon chairman by attacking Amazon. So he sends out a tweet yesterday, yesterday, I believe. Um, this is I'm looking at it right now. Amazon is doing great damage to tax-paying retailers. Towns, cities, and states throughout the United States are being hurt. Many jobs are being lost. So he he's attacking Amazon now. The, the the reason he's attacking Amazon is I think again because the chairman of Amazon called him out on his response to the Charlottesville thing that we have talked about in in great detail. But his response is then to attack Amazon. Amazon doing great damage to tax-paying retailers. Towns, cities, and states throughout the U.S. are being hurt. Many jobs are being lost. Now, here are the numbers. Amazon currently employs about 180,000 people in the United States. They have announced that by the middle of next year, they want to finish hiring 100,000 more full and part-time employees. So Amazon is becoming a major employer. Um, There is the Amazon facility down in Kenosha, where Kenosha County, um, that employs a ton of people. They're, They're looking at employing, you know, a couple thousand more in that facility alone as part of this overall expansion. So there's no question that Amazon changes the way people shop. You know, people, instead of, you know, going to, I don't know, XYZ department store. And, I mean, I'll tell you, this is something I did the other day. Um, I I wanted to buy a new pair of trousers. And I knew the the style. I, I wanted to buy Dockers, okay? I knew what I wanted. I know my size. I saw this thing that they were having a sale. So instead of going to a department store or a men's store where they sell Dockers, I simply went um, through Amazon, as a matter of fact. They, they had them. And now I don't think Amazon was selling directly. Amazon was selling them through a third-party thing. Went to a website, and in a matter of five minutes, I know my size. These are the type of pants that I, I wear regularly. Don't need to try them on, I don't think. Matter of fact, no, I'm wearing one of those pairs now. And in the met space of five or ten minutes, I have purchased you no know, two pairs of the pants I wanted. Instead of 
going to you know a department store or going to a men's store, and then they show up in the mail three days later. So I, it delivered. I, I don't know whether it was Federal Express or UPS or the U.S. Mail. I forget how they got to me, but I, I got them. So it's true that my shopping habit changed. I, I And I didn't buy through the local retailer. I didn't go to the local department store and see if they had something in my size, in the color that I wanted. I went on the Internet through Amazon, found exactly what I wanted, and got it. And I, I think I probably paid less than I would have paid at the brick and, and mortar store. 414-799-1620. This is just now the new way of the world. I was exercising my choice in the way I chose to shop to the extent that Amazon is succeeding and prospering. It's because other people are are doing what I did. They're just saying, hey, in this particular case, the convenience, the ability to know what you want and get what you want, um, that's why you're doing it. You do it from home. So let's tee this up. You know, is do you agree with the president? Is Amazon doing great damage to businesses um is it costing jobs or is this just a job shift 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line i mean candidly i i just think amazon is the the next big thing that's out there and just like um there are challenges to retailers posed by the walmarts and the targets of the world um, th- this is admittedly, it's another challenge, but I'm not sure it's so much jobs being lost as jobs just being shifted. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 11:16. This is Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ. He's been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time, and he's provided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, Sundown. Now Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee, and we're sending you Listen Again Tomorrow for your last chance at a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot at the Pabst Theater on Sunday, September 17th. Um, President Trump yesterday calling out Amazon. Now what happened is the chairman of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, took a shot at Trump about his response to Charlottesville. Trump responded on Twitter by going after Amazon, saying Amazon is doing great damage to tax-paying retailers. Towns, cities, and states throughout the U.S. are being hurt. Many jobs are being lost. I just bought something through Amazon you know, a couple days ago. All right, is Amazon really destroying retailers? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, let's see, let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good. Um, I think, actually, they're a net job creator. And the reason I say that is because, basically, Amazon is an electronic mall. That's really what it is. Yep. Um, stores line up, you know, you go buy it. So you still have the, the manufacturing, still hasn't added or subtracted any jobs. You're still producing the product. Right. right? Instead of sitting on their shelves or at their, just, or at their retailer's shelves, it's going to... It's going to the you know the electronic. Yeah, I mean, like the clothing I bought, it, it wasn't sold by Amazon. It was sold through Amazon. Right. There right. was like exactly. a third party seller. Yeah, what ninety percent of them do. And so what happens is those, those all of those you know the consumer at that point, up until that point, up until Amazon was the logistics. They had to go buy it at the store, pick it up, and bring it home. Now it's being delivered. That creates you know obviously that you have the distribution side of it, and you, have, you know the, the logistics all the way through. So I think you know in reality, and plus I think. If they play the cards right, I think it's a net benefit to, to to retailers because 
they're an electronic mob. They're not stuck in some right. brick and mortar, one building. You're not in. You're, nobody gets in there. Nobody sees it. Right. It, it, it theoretically <clears throat> allows you to expand the clients that you can reach, um, because, like you say, you're you're not stuck to just selling people who live within a. I don't know, 10-mile radius of Bayshore Shopping Center, theoretically, you can sell your products all over the world if right. you can figure out how to market it. Yeah, yeah and, and that creates pressure. That puts pressure on pricing, obviously, for the retailers, which is a good thing because it's competition. I mean, you're always going to have the certain, you know, freak shows like Ikea where everybody goes down there just because. You know, it didn't matter if you had anything online. No matter what, they're going down there. But, right. you know, I think in general, it's a, it's a net job creator, and, and how somebody can't, Add two plus two and come up with four on that one is a little bit backwards. Yeah. Now, th- thanks for call. Well, it's also it's it's a matter of of customer choice, and we we've seen this over the years. I understand why people don't like Walmart, for example, but at the same time, and I use this example all the time. Why why? is Walmart, the evil empire, why did they succeed? Well, it's because people want to shop at Walmart. It's because for everybody that talks about they don't like the way Walmart treats its employees or this or that or the other, they're still lining up, you know, 25 deep of the day after Thanksgiving to get the $49 Blu-ray disc player. So, I mean, it's, it is a matter of customer choice. It, it's the same thing. It's like you could make this argument about McDonald's. You know, when, when you first had the first fast food restaurants that came in, they drove a lot of mom-and-pop diners out of businesses, out, out of business. And, okay, did that mean that McDonald's was evil or, you know, Burger King was evil or Wendy's was evil? No, it was just reflecting what the current choices are. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Tom. Uh, personally, I think what's actually put the retail businesses out of business is themselves. I mean, I don't know how many times I've gone to, say, a Target or Kohl's, and, you know, they don't have what I'm looking right. for. Like, you know, you go on Amazon.com, and yeah. there it is. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I knew, and I, I, mean, I bought a pair of trousers, or two pairs of trousers. I, I knew, I, I you know, I, I knew what my size was. You know, I knew what the color choice was. In the matter of yep. five minutes, I've got exactly what I want, instead of, like, and, going to five or six different stores looking to try to find, you know, something that they may or may not have what I want. That's very true. And then sometimes you'll actually find a better price on Amazon.com than right. in the stores. Right. No, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I, are they, I mean, thanks for the call. Is, is the Internet, is the Internet changing the way we shop and, and maybe impacting retailers? Yeah, I, I, it is. Is it doing great damage to retailers? No, it's, it's just changing the way we, we purchase stuff. I, look, I love local bookstores. I, I do. But or or I used to love local record stores, but I admit it's another one of these convenience sort of things. I, I'm kind of a completist when it comes to books. So let's say I let I uh, let let's say I I'll give you an example. I read a really good review of uh, of a Stephen King trilogy that that he had written. A really good review of the third book. All right. Well, all right. I I thought. Well, I'm not going to read if it's a trilogy. I want to read the first and second ones rather than going around the various bookstores and hoping I could find all three books. In the matter of you know, I just I pull up the book at Amazon. You go in the book section. They've got all three of them there. Boom! Three days later, I've got all the books. All right. I, I mean, I've still purchased the books, but it's that convenient fact, convenience factor that's there. John in Shawano. John, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Um. 
if you think this is a free ride, I think you're sadly mistaken because you have this upbeat thing, Amazon, Amazon. Um, a different radio station two years ago, biggest stick in Chicago, was talking about this coming. Mm-hmm. And now what they predicted was going to happen is currently happening. Uh, the mall in Appleton is depleted. <clears throat> the mall in Wausau, Wisconsin, is in bankruptcy. Your mall in Milwaukee, I don't know how Mayfair is doing, but I suspect it's going to have a big decline in tenants. Then they have what's called the black store, dark store tax break. So they sue mm-hmm. and they get reductions in their property mm-hmm. taxes. I, I'm just trying to tell you what's really going on instead of just glossing over this and saying, oh, this is a great deal. Well, what, but what's so, the alternative? But why Why is that? Is it because... Is, well, Mr. it's because... Bales is, Mr. Bales, according to the Wall Street Journal, is building a new $59 million house outside Washington, D.C., where he was with his family. Okay, but so this no, is all about profit. Well, but 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 what about? But isn't isn't what's driving Amazon's success consumer Perfect. choices? People like like me and a lot of others of us who are just shopping over the internet as opposed to you know going to the brick and mortar stores. I'm, I'm not saying it's right and wrong. Okay, uh-huh. I'm just telling you what what they have discussed. Yeah, they like are talking about driverless trucks within five years. No more semi drivers. They have six. Uh, fast food restaurants in California right now where there's nobody working. You pull up, you stick your card in, mm-hmm. and the food comes out, and the computer makes all the food, and it comes out a chute, and you grab your f- food and drive away. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, this is what's coming. Well, I think what, I mean, here, here's what my response would, would be. I mean, I, I, I think this is, this poses a challenge for, for retailers. And they're going to have to figure out ways to adapt. There's always going to be people who are, are going to want to shop. There's always going to be people who don't want to buy stuff over the Internet, who actually you know want to find the stuff. And, and you just have – will it change the way we shop? Yes, just like Walmart. But, I mean, Walmart didn't destroy you know every department store. Walmart, I mean, I acknowledge – you know, when Walmart came in, it hurt some of like the local hardware stores and things like that, and some adapted, some didn't. But it's all part of this this change that's out there. I mean, great damage to retailers. No, I just think it's not Amazon that's doing that. It's individuals who are making the choice as to how they they do it. Amy in Wauwatosa. Amy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good Amy. morning. Hi, Amy. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, you made a comment about ordering books online right. and. I actually have been using a e-reader for probably five years, and I buy a lot more books because it's more convenient, and mm-hmm. I don't have to carry them. Right. And they're all on my reader. And I got into an argument at a literary sojourn in Colorado about it with some of the authors, and I was like, hold it. I've got all of your books right here in my hand. You see all these people carrying around all these books? Right. They're heavy. <laughs> and I'm buying more because it's more convenient. And sure. Buying things online changes things, but we but there's a resurgence in those you know the old fashioned let's go to the mall and walk around. You've been to the new Von Mauer, right? Yes, I have. Yep, in Brookfield and right. Bayshore. You know, so shopping is still going to be done. There's still things you're going to want to see, feel, and try on. But for things that you know, what difference does it make? Not hurting anybody. I'm well, I'm I'm spending more money than I normally would because it's more convenient. Right, and and you know that you're going to be able to get what it is that that you want. And again, I guess I just exactly. don't see Amazon as being evil. Amazon is just different. And to the extent Amazon is succeeding, it's because people like you and me, 
you know, order some stuff over there. Over, right, yeah. right. And and it, I think it induces more, you know, spending in oh. commerce. And I think it's and it's in seconds. Well, for an ebook, you can get it in right. seconds. How right. great is that? And for Amazon, you can do the Prime and get it delivered for free, and it's there the next day. It's yeah. insane. No, it, it's it awesome. is. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. But I mean, it's not going to completely eliminate. For example. I'm getting married next month. I need to. I I want to buy a new suit. I got more suits than I know what to do with. But I'm figuring. Got to get a suit. I and now I'm not going to. I'm not ordering a suit over the internet. I'm I'm going to. Matter of fact, that's one of the things on my list today. I'm going to go out to a couple of places that sell high end men's suits and try to find a really nice nice suit. I don't feel comfortable doing that over the internet. I want to see the fabric. I want to. But. But that's one that's got to be tailored. So there's always going to be that business that's out there. It's eleven twenty nine. This is Jeff Wagner. Eleven thirty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Um, we are following the breaking news story about Barcelona. Authorities are saying it's a terror attack. Um, at least two dead, maybe more. Twenty injured, including children, after a truck plows into pedestrians along a tourist hotspot. Two armed men taking hostages in a restaurant. Um, again, this is one of these fog of war situations. So we'll be on top of this all all afternoon as more details emerge. But authorities again are describing it as a as an act of terror and an ongoing hostage situation in Barcelona. And we'll continue to keep you updated as details emerge. Okay, this is this is the portion of the Thursday show where we kind of stop talking about all the heavy lifting and the difficult things. And there's, there's been more than our share this week, no, no question about that, and try to have a little bit of fun. I call it Pop Culture Corner. Sometimes we talk about music, sometimes books, sometimes movies, sometimes TV, sometimes sports, sometimes food, um, just whatever has caught my attention in a given week that I think might interest you. Um, I am a... I'm a self-professed fan, and by the way, once again, we are um, we're live streaming this on Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ, you can see our studio and see me as we do the show and participate uh, in that fashion as well. Haven't been able to do that for a couple of weeks because we were out at State Fair, but now we're back in the studio, get to do that. Um, in any event, uh, this this week's a little bit different in a way. I I'm a fan of junk TV. I, I acknowledge that, and all week on. The History Channel, yeah, the History Channel. They they've been every once in a while that they do like Shark Week. Well, this wasn't Shark Week. This was Car Week, and they had an interesting series of documentaries about like the history of the American automobile, and, and included like the, the 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 rise of the big automakers. You know, starting with Henry Ford and and all General Motors and Chrysler, and and it wasn't just like the stories of how you know they started building cars and but it was also the story of how America's tastes had changed in cars and how the car culture had evolved. So those were there was some interesting stories there and a bunch of others. So I admit I've been kind of fascinated this week by by watching stuff um the, the car things. Last week I believe in Milwaukee you had one of the big car shows that was down at the lakefront and I if I know anything about us as Americans. I know that we love our cars. Now, I've always been a guy that's, I, I, I've, I've never had that necessarily passion for cars that some people have had. To me, I, I want reliable transportation. 
But I admit that there's some cars that I've had that I've just liked a lot better than others. There's some cars that I've had that, you know, about two weeks after you get them, you know that it's kind of a mistake. And there's some cars that I have owned that I think back wistfully. And I say, look, I, I just I wonder whatever happened to that car. And I understand it is always bad because one of the rules is that you should never love something that cannot love you back. But I know when it comes to autumn, <laughs> you see Scott Warris is producing the show. He wants to know if that's one of my rules of life. No, it's, it's no, it, it's, I mean, you should never love something that can't love you back. I mean, it, it's just it. It's, it's kind of like when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office and we were like doing asset forfeiture stuff. We, we learned the rule was that you, you never seize anything that eats. You know, we, it's like, okay, let's seize this farm. Okay, well, that means that somebody's got to like feed the animals. No, you don't seize anything that eats and you should never love something that doesn't love you back. That being said, there is an exception, and that comes with cars, because I am willing to bet that anybody who has owned a series of cars, there has been a car that you have absolutely loved. Maybe it's one that you still have. More likely, it's one that you wish you still had. So for a little bit of fun on Pop Culture Corner this week, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're also live streaming on Facebook Live. All right, what is that car that you just absolutely loved? Maybe it's the car you're driving now. Maybe it's that first car you had when you turned 16 years old. What's that car in your life that you you loved? Maybe not as much as your husband or wife, certainly not as much as your kids, but that you loved. We'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And again, my advice in these segments is uh, don't overthink it um, and call quickly because we want to try to get to as many calls as we possibly can. Our phone lines tend to jam up. It's 1142. We're back with Pop Culture Corner. That car in your life that you absolutely loved. Stick around. It's 1142. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1145. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Pop Culture Corner, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're also live streaming on Facebook. Um, The car you just absolutely loved. It's Car Week on the History Channel or something. I was watching the history of the American automobile. Let's see. On our Facebook page, Marianne. Sends a 1958 T-Bird, first car my husband and I bought together before our wedding in 1962. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike on the east side. Mike, good morning. We're at 620 WTMJ. Morning. Okay, the car yeah. you just absolutely love. Uh, 1969 Plymouth GTX convertible, Ooh. 444 speed. <laughs> so it moved. It moved. Uh, it still does. 43 years later, I still have it. You still have it. Do you still drive it? Uh, once in a while. Not not often anymore. Right. What was it about the car that made you keep it all these years? Well, my friend bought it brand new, and at that time I had a 62 Impala SS convertible. And so I like convertibles. Well, that car got stolen from me. <laughs> and, uh, and then I bought a 68 uh, Dodge Cornet RT with a 440 and a 4-speed. Okay. It's a hard top. I wanted that convertible because I liked my car, and I sure wanted a convertible uh, version. Cool. Well, five years later, I got it from him. Cool. And you have you've had it ever since. That, thanks I've for had that. It ever since. That, that now that is that is a love affair. I mean, there, there's there's men and women who don't keep their spouses anywhere near that as long as you've had that car. Let's talk to Paul in Menominee Falls. Paul, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. 
Hi, Jeff. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm, uh, it's uh, weird that you're talking about this today. I'm cleaning out my F-250 Super Duty. It's a 99. <laughs> I've had it since 99, and I'm cleaning it out right now to take it and trade it in for a uh, a 2014 150. Okay, but you say, so, but you've had it for what, 17, 18 years now, and you love it, huh? You're you're giving it up, you're breaking up with this car you love, huh? Yep, yep. It's, it's kind of hard, but eh, it's got to be done. It's <laughs> yeah. falling apart, so get rid of it. You know? Yeah, that's well. That's like I say, you, you never love anything that doesn't love you back. But there is that's something right. about car. There is something about cars that we have this kind of attachment to, isn't yep, there? Exactly. No, thanks. No, that's that. That's it. I mean, and it's and I, I don't exactly know why it is or what it is, but I mean, I think back on all the different cars that I've owned over the years, and like I say, there's some. Yeah, I you know I could take or, or leave, but there, there's others that have a a special spike. One of, I had a 1986 Honda Prelude. This is before, and I don't know why I loved the car because it didn't have a particularly big engine or anything like that. But it was, um, it was before Honda ruined the Prelude. And I, I, I just, I still think back wistfully on that car and say I, I just kind of enjoyed that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave in Racine. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how about the 1986? Chevrolet Suburban. I okay. mean, I got to ask you. Okay, a, a Suburban? <laughs> That's the car you loved? What, oh, what? I mean, there weren't enough O's and smooth <laughs> to describe how it handled. It was big. You didn't get stuck in the snow. You got embedded. I mean, <laughs> and it could go anywhere, anytime. You know, okay. any weather, you would laugh and smile in the in, in the face. I mean, it was. Uh, right. You carry anything. It had an air conditioning system that could keep fresh meat, keep raw meat fresh. <laughs> I okay. mean, it was just uh, the seats were co- it was comfortable. Okay. I mean, it just got it. All right, I'm cool with. It. I mean, thanks. For, I'm cool. With it. When I first saw a Chevy Suburban, because typically when you talk about, with all due respect, when you talk about cars that people love, you don't think it's going to be a 1986 Chevy Suburban. I wondered if there was some story, but no, it's you. You just kind of liked it. All right, let's talk to Lynn in Waukesha. Lynn, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, the car Hi. you just absolutely loved. 1957 Chevy Convertible. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, wish Ooh. I had it now. <laughs> um, I was going to rebuy it in, in the early '80s when they were five thousand dollars, and now the prices are running up to a hundred thousand. Wow. Um, so you were? Would you be? Where, where did you grow up, Lynn? Where, where did you live when you had it? I uh, lived in Milwaukee. Okay, so you were cruising the streets in a '57 Chevy convertible, huh? I was cruising Wisconsin Avenue. <laughs> That's, that was the days. Yep, that, I was cruising with my '57. It was a rip beer brown with a white top. It was a beauty. Ah, there you go. Thanks for the call. See, that's it. It brings you back to. It brings you back to those different days. There, I can just picture cruising up and down Wisconsin Avenue, rocking the, uh, rocking the '57 uh, Chevy. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to. Um, oh, Laura in Grafton. Laura, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Okay, that car you loved was? The 69 Firebird. Okay. Okay. Which was a different design than the 68 and the 67. Right, right. I had a 74 Firebird. I'm not sure if it was the same. And my problem, I, I, I love that. I loved my car too, except it, um, it was a mechanic's dream. It was just, I, I don't know exactly. My, my car broke down all the time. Got, I got frustrated with it, but it was a hot looking car. Right, yeah, the the 69 was the only design of that time. So oh. the 68 and the 70 were different than the 69. Okay, okay. What was it that you loved so much about it, just the way it looked? 
just the way it looked. It was different than the 67, 68, and um, I wish I never would have sold that car because I would still love to get another one. <laughs> Isn't that funny that all these years later you go, boy, I just missed that one. If I ever saw one come up, I'd, I'd pick it up again. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's I would. That, that now thanks so that that's the amazing thing about uh that's the amazing thing about cars. Okay, on our Facebook live, Mary says 63 Chevy Impala 409. It was my husband's first car. It moved. He wishes he still had it. Um I do too. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh let's see. Lori in Port Washington. Hi Lori, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, that car you just loved. 59 Bonneville white convertible with flamingo pink interior. Wow. Wow. You would go cruising uh, as well, I assume, huh? Yes, sir. I knew Wisconsin Avenue very well. <laughs> I Would you take you you take like your, your girlfriends with you and stuff? That's what it would be? Absolutely. We'd pack it full of girls and turn on the radio and we had an it was one of those echo chamber type things, and we loved it. Uh huh. I imagine the boys loved it too. Would be my guess as well. Yes, they did. My <laughs> father wondered what I was doing in that giant boat. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's, well, thanks for calling. You probably didn't want to tell him what you were doing in that giant boat. There. Let's talk to Mike in Heartland. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, mine is a, a two thousand and five Porsche Cayenne Ooh. F. As in Sam, it's their SUV. Um, you know, listening to the other callers, that that I guess that doesn't seem like the typical. I fell in love with the uh, right. Car, <laughs> right. Car, well, guess. why? Why did? What, what was it about that car that you love so much? Uh, well, it was it was kind of like the, the your hot girlfriend back in high school or college that just didn't like you, but you just really liked her a lot. It was <laughs> it was fast. The brakes were amazing. The stereo was loud. Uh, it just kind of grabbed you okay and it was fast and a lot of fun but uh it broke my heart with um cam sensors and e right. canisters and right. all the other stupid stuff that goes and you know like right. like you said on another right uh car you had it was just in the shop all the time so i had to get rid of it yeah it was the mechanics dream no th- thanks for now i have to tell you I, i'm i'm now going to be thinking about the the analogy to the the girlfriend in high school i'm going to have to think that one through but I, I'm going to give it some time. Katie and Mequon. Katie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I about fell over when you mentioned your Honda Prelude. Right. 89 Honda Prelude was my first car, and I loved it, and I miss it. Yep, yep. Now, I don't know. At some point in time, they changed the design, and I think they kind of ruined it. But I, my, guess, my guess is your 89 was probably close to my 86 would be my guess. I, I think it was yeah, later Yeah, I on. think yeah. it probably was. Yeah, and it, uh, it was a stick shift, and it had the lights that flipped up and made it look like a frog. It was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just for, for some reason, I, I don't know. I mean, because I, I, I had a Firebird, um, and I, and I like that. But I just, the, the Prelude, I just, there was something about it that I, I love. Thanks for the call. All right, I'm sorry. We're kind of up against the clock here. Let me go through. A lot of people were waiting quite a while, and I didn't get to them. Uh, Tim wanted to say a 57 Chevy. Uh, 1965 442 convertible, big engine, 70 Chevelle, 68 Plymouth Roadrunner. Yeah, that's another one of the cars that's very much in demand. Um, those Roadrunners, uh, big engines, they move, all sorts of things. Um, 
uh, we're gonna we will do pop culture corner again next week. If you want to check out and continue to participate, we put this up on Facebook Live, and a number of people continue to send in their different suggestions as well. So check it all out.